Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Yo, Coolio, what's going on, man? Hey, only my loved ones call me Coolio. <laughs> I don't fit into that? Well, we haven't been naked together. Then you can call me Coolio. <laughs> we have hung out in Ottawa, Ontario, though, at a bar called La Bop. <laughs> no one got naked except for the bartenders. Bartenders, that's right. And if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> La Bop I, roughly translates to the Bop. <laughs> in French and French-Canadian. That's right. I mean, you know, we do lose a little of the, um, you know, semantic meaning of la bop to the bop, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's close. Well, if you say it in some languages, it's it's an insult. That's right. If you're in an Arabic country, you don't <laughs> want to say that. Yeah, you, not, you get a limb cut off. Will, camel limb cut off. And your camel will urinate on you. That reminds me of... What was that bit that Carson used to do? The great, the guy with the the hat and... Uh, Karnak. Karnak the Magnificent. And he would always insult Ed McMahon every once in a <laughs> while. And he would say, oh, may the fleas of a thousand camels in, infest your sister. <laughs> I just remember him saying that. And just put me in the mind of um, uh, deserts and camels. Carson, he rocked. He was the best, without question. The best interviewer ever. I don't have a, a good segue here, but I'm just going to bop right into it. Hey, that was a segue. I said, Bob. You are good, my friend. I, I read uh, probably about a week ago that there was this article in uh, CNN about... You're prob- watching CNN. Problems with immigration. That was another topic we talked about a while ago. But I had no idea that it was getting out of hand. There was, um, there's some officers, and maybe not officers, there's some soldiers who are fighting out in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places, and they have married women who are not necessarily citizens of the u.s well you either are you aren't (laughs) and they haven't gotten their citizenship yet and the the immigration is threatening to deport these people deport the wives of the people who are out fighting for the country why because they haven't met the the citizenship requirements and they're you know still working on the paperwork or they may have failed to do something one thing or another i'm not saying that they're not completely blameless but it's it's a, an administrative issue. It's not necessarily well, a, a right or wrong issue. And as someone who knows a little bit about this, because he's going through it right now, there are two levels of qualification that let you stay in the United States. There's legal residency and then citizenship. And you, they're probably, you're talking about legal residency, probably not citizenship, because that's a process that takes a, a long time. Well, there's one issue that I'm talking about in particular. Green card equal legal residency. Okay. So maybe you can tell me what I'm what I'm missing here. In this story, there is a soldier who he came to the United States and became a citizen from Mexico when he was a child. Legally, through the proper channels, his family came across, they applied for citizenship, they became citizens, full-on citizen. He he signed up for the military, signed up for the navy, is out fighting in the at, navy. Right. He's he's deployed. He's, what you're saying is he in the village people? He knows an Indian and a construction worker. That's all I've got to say. And a motorcycle guy. Is he one of them? The leather guy. The guy in the leather. They're all in leather. Of some sort. Oh, maybe. Anyways. It reminds me of the band Blotto. They all used to dress up in silly costumes, too. 
We digress. Mr. Bottle. We digress yet again. Mr. Blotto, Bowtie Blotto. Kind of like the Ramones. So, anyways, he came to the United States just fine. He's he's cool. He's kosher. His his wife. He's a Mexican Jew. As a, as a child, came from Guatemala, and um, the mother and child came came for, uh, from Guatemala as political refugees. They 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 sought asylum. The mother applied. <laughs> and that applied. puts me in the mind of Full Metal Jacket. Stop. They, they, uh, <laughs> Evacuee, not refugee. They applied for asylum. They were granted asylum. She's in the United States since she was five years old. The mother actually became a citizen in 2004. And on her citizenship papers, she, she put in for herself and her daughter. And the daughter, four or five months before the mother became a citizen, got married to this sailor guy in the navy guess what happened tell me she's being threatened to be deported because her her application became null and void because she got married she's no longer a dependent of the mother who became a citizen so her application has to start from scratch tell me that's not ridiculous well yeah no it is ridiculous and i think if he goes to his congressman he can get you know get that taken care of oh i'm I'm sure that he can get this taken care of and i'm sure that he because now he's in cnn that it's going to be taken care of but it shouldn't have to be where you have to go to the press to get something done you know i just have one thing to say about this it's a giant shit sandwich and we all gotta take a bite (laughs) that's because you're chewing the sandwich as we speak (laughs) and john made it and it's a giant it. grizzly bear shit not, sandwich. I did not make it. But I have one quote from one of the, the lobbyists who is against all of this, uh, you know, all these brown people coming across the border. You know, they're going to ruin our way. You're a person. I am. But this is what he said. His name is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to name names. His name is Mark Krikorian. Tell me that's not a freaky name. That okay. is a freaky He's name. He's a freaky name. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. It's a lobbying group. And, and, and if you actually spell it out, it's we hate spics. That's exactly what, that's it, exactly that's what, what it means in, in uh, Russian Jew, I think. And also, there are many skinheads who, uh, who translate that uh, as well. I think he's a Klingon. What you're talking about is amnesty for illegal immigrants who have relatives in the armed forces. And that's just outrageous. What we're talking about is, he likes to talk about what we're talking about. What we're talking about is letting lawbreakers get away with their actions just because they have a relative in the military. Bastards. There's no justification for that kind of policy. And he's responding Mother directly. Mother effers. I mean, how, this is a person who, this isn't a person who was like coming in the dark of night, crossing over the, the Rio Swimming Grande. Swimming a river and like using bolt cutters to cut yeah. through a fence. It's a person who came into the United States, applied for amnesty because of a political asylum from Guatemala. She's been in the United States. Her mother's a citizen. Her husband's a citizen. It's an administrative problem. And he's saying, this is an illegal person and you're giving them amnesty. You know, they've got to cut out these brown people taking our jobs. And she loves apple pie. I mean, I'm you telling know, you, she's, she'd be more straight up. I think she actually actually makes apple pie <laughs> anyways i'm just kind of ticked off that the people think that immigrants are, are ruining our way of life well and Crazy. i've said this on a previous show before but there's a lot of americans who are want to believe that there are no jobs in america because immigrants are taking our jobs no loose your venom on a corporate america there are no jobs in america because all of our manufacturing jobs are being sent to china or mexico actually and, and why is that? Because the healthcare costs are labor, out of out of whack. Everything is cheap, and the circle yeah. is complete. Yeah, young Skywalker. 
So anyways, that's it. I've got an article. I'm handing it to Rich. I'm going to make a link on the site and everything. Why are you good. handing me this? Because I want you to read it. I, I'm not compelled to read. <laughs> Just He's not a reader. He's not a big reader. Uh, let's see. What else? Let's see. What else is going on in the intro? I still don't have any tunes on my iPod. None? Not yet, it's but I will. It's been several weeks. I, I know, but I will. Trust me, I will. I think the inaugural artist I'm going to put on there is going to be Simon Fox, one of our favorite Celtic guitarists. And uh, tomorrow, when I edit this show, I think I will I will do that on Windows XP. Imagine that. Hope it doesn't have, crash on you. all kinds of Windows installations on my computer right now. Hey, I've got some tunes. We, I, I haven't even heard this, so maybe we should hear it so I could hear it. I think you heard it a long time ago, but I think that you said, yeah, it's okay. Oh, I'm going to hate this. I'm a hater. I'm going to hate it. You're a hater. Let's check it out. that song you thought i was gonna hate other than the fact that i hate it hated it right on the nose whoa wow you didn't hate it no that was kind of cool i don't remember having heard that song before i vaguely vaguely you know what you gotta knock off the drugs yeah but if i knock off the drugs it's gonna be drinking i mean you know i can get the crack out of my life but then i can't get the alcohol out and pound a hash a week is killing you my friend (laughs) yeah it's true all right cutting cold turkey starting now Got some uh, news articles here. Okay. You know what it's about? Tell me. I bet it's about the music industry because I have a magazine queued up. Copywriting. I have a magazine queued up right in front of me to to talk about this. This topic comes from uh, something that we talk about constantly. 
It's the recording Sex. industry of America. No, in, in public. The recording industry of America is evil. Yes. Jack Valenti, retired, yeah. yet evil. Still evil. MPAA, RIAA, all of those double A organizations, evil. Evil bastards. Yeah, so. Evil MFs. One of my favorite bands, Radiohead, decided. Not one of mine, though. I don't know. You probably haven't listened enough. I've only heard the one song you played for me, the one that you sing to, which we talked about in that meme. Do I sing to? Yeah. What? What? If you hear a song, what, what's the one song that if you hear it, you sing to? And you talked about some Radiohead song, Marvin oh. the Paranoid Android or oh. something. That's right. Paranoid Android. It is It is one of my favorite songs. You're I, right. You've got a better, better memory than I do. Apparently. So Radiohead decided, we're going to F the RIAA and our recording friends. And for those who don't know what that means, that means... F. Fuck the R-A-I-I-A-O-E-R-I. Yeah. So they decided to go off-label for their, their latest album. They've been recording this thing for a few years. It's highly anticipated. They've got a huge following. It's not like there's some weird, disturbing band. They're a very popular band, and they could make a ton of money no matter what they do. But what they decided to do was not release this album on a label. They're doing it themselves. And you can buy the thing online... For download. Where actually can you buy it on? Radiohead.com. Okay. All right. Okay. So it's called In Rainbows, something like that. You go to their website, you download it, and guess what? You decide how much you pay for it. Yeah. They actually, John sent me this email and it was like, you could literally put in a dime and they you would can still put in sell zero. you the record. Yes. You could put in You can zilch. put in zero and you get the download. Nothing. And you know what the people are doing? They're paying for it. I paid for it. How much did you pay for it? I paid three British pounds. About ten bucks. Uh, no, no, it's about six, six, six fifty ish. or something. Yeah, I figured. Is look, that sterling pounds? Pounds sterling. Yeah, I figured. You know what? How many euro? I don't know. <laughs> Probably six. How many Deutschmarks? Thirty-five thousand. I figured. You know what? Most albums online. Wait a minute. Like How much iTunes, did you pay? Most six albums, bucks. Six Why wouldn't you pay ten? I would pay listen, ten for listen, a good album. Listen, you most, wanted to screw Radiohead. Didn't I did you? not. He's pointing. He's wagging a finger at me again. Wagging my nose. I, I want to do the, the bewitch thing where it'll turn into a donkey. Dr. Bombay calling Dr. Bombay. Here's my reasoning. I've got some reasoning behind this. Most albums that you buy, like on iTunes, you pay nine ninety nine for the entire album. Okay? But you Is know how much... dependent on number of songs or just album? No. Across the board, you buy an album on iTunes, it's nine ninety nine. You buy a single track, it's 99 cents. That's the way they roll. That's the way they roll. That's, that's, that's the way we roll. So I'm thinking, okay, $10 albums, if you bought like a CD with physical media, go into a record store today. Which I love physical media. They're like $12, $13 for a, what? a release. No, no. And I'm going to talk about that in here. Okay. They're $16.99 to $19.99. Okay. 16 to $19.99. Okay. At some stores. How much does the artist get for even $10? 17 cents. Probably 75 cents. I was close. 75 is prime. I'm, 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 I'm assuming 75 cents because they say that they're getting that was a joke, practically crap. So I'm thinking, you know what? You know what they're getting? They're getting shin gots is what they're getting. <laughs> Who gots? Whatever. I don't know. Not they're, Italian. They're, I'm maximizing their profits. I'm giving them everything in profits. I'm giving them 600,000 times the normal profit they would get from their record label. Yes. And I'm giving them six bucks because I feel, you know what? If I were you, I would have given at least seven fifty though. I think you're a little cheap. I think you, you know, you got to go back and throw them another $2.50 or something. Well, by the time it actually goes through, the exchange rate's probably going to be out of whack anyways. They might even get 20 bucks. They, pff, they might. 
but I gave them three British pounds. Sterling. And I thought that that was fine because some people are giving them less, some people are giving them more. And do you have the record? Do you have the vinyl? No, it's it's, uh, being released later, and I'm not sure what the date is. I'll get an email and they'll tell me when it is. Oh. But I'm very proud to say that I paid for something that I like, and I know who's getting the money. I like the part about knowing who's getting the money. I pay for things I like all the time, but yet it's not clear who's getting the money. Right, and and I, I show me the money. I don't have a problem with people downloading stuff. I've got a problem with people downloading stuff and then sharing it and giving it to every single person on the planet. I don't have a problem with people downloading stuff and listening to it and sampling it. And By enjoying downloading, it. you mean illegal downloading? Illegal downloading. What Lars Ulrich from Metallica would call illegal downloading. Well, he would call thinking about downloading it illegal. So I don't think he's a lawyer. But I got this other case here that I want to talk about. Wired magazine. RIAA jury finds Minnesota woman liable for piracy and awards the RIAA $222,000. So wait a minute. She was out on the seven seas on a ship and she did what? She like attacked another ship? I think that she said, ah, he made tea a couple of times and then that's it. Case closed. 222 grand. That just doesn't even sound fair. No. Listen to this. Listening. 12 jurors said the Minnesota woman must pay $9,250 for each of the 24 shared songs. 24 songs. That's like two albums that were on her uh, computer. They were subject to the lawsuit amounting to $222,000 in penalties. Now, this isn't the crazy part. They didn't have to prove that she even had a single download from her machine. They're just saying... On her machine? Right. From her machine, right. Or from her machine. She's got these things. She shared them out. She had, she was on Kazaa, you know, that, that file sharing network. Mm-hmm. She had these files, they, they, they had some investigator find out using IP addresses and all the internet magic. They found out who had these files on their computer, and they found this person had them on her computer. They had no proof whatsoever, and in fact, the, the court didn't even require them to prove that a single download occurred from her machine. Wait, wait a minute. Was Floyd Landis involved in this in any way? This is what, what's crazy, is that... All she had was the files. She didn't even have any downloads. She could have had one download. And they're charging her $222,000 just for having them. That's crazy. I mean, to me, that's like someone saying, I'm thinking about robbing a store in jest. And then saying, well, you know what? You're going to have to pay for all the contents of that store. Times 10. Minority report. This is ridiculous. I mean, I can understand them saying, look... Here are some damages. We saw that 15 people downloaded those things, and that would have amounted to 15 sales. Let's multiply it times the the current rate of the song, and this is how much you owe the company. But no, they didn't have to do that. Who's been damaged here? I want to know who's been damaged. This is a crime without any any, uh, victims, really. Much like taking your own life. Well, you know, there are some victims there. I I disagree. Well, I'm going to read something from one of my favorite recording magazines, and it's a magazine called Tape Op. And it's the Creative Music Recording Magazine. And it must be true because it says so right on the cover. Larry Crane is the executive editor of this uh, fine, fine, fine publication. And he directly addresses this kind of thing in his little sort of, you know. You mean the big brotherishness? The op-ed piece. Uh, Not so much that, but just music labels in general. And here's what Larry Crane writes. I'm going to read the whole thing. As many of you might know and probably can relate to, the grammar is a little questionable, but I'm going I'm to read it exactly. He's an editor. What's he know about grammar? Written. 
Um, as many of you might know and probably can relate to, I consider myself more of a fan of music than a fan of recording. And he is a recording engineer, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I love making records, owning a studio, editing this magazine, and talking shop with my peers. But to me, the means is all about the end. I love having recorded music in my life and probably buy more CDs than the average person. Recently, I walked into a Barnes & Noble bookstore while waiting for someone. See, that's a little shaky, the grammar there. I thought I'd look through the CDs there and see if they had any new releases I was looking for. Little did I know how much the prices here would scare me off. Most new releases seem to range between $18.99 and $15.99. Even back catalog CDs that should have been less expensive were running around $14.99. The only CDs for $9.99 were some crummy 10-song anthologies of artists like The Drifters and other deep back catalog items repackaged without any taste. Certainly not up to Rhino Records quality, and Rhino Records is is a great label. Okay, he goes on to say, I didn't buy anything despite the fact that there was a batch of new records that I wanted. How does the average consumer perceive this? Question mark. For someone whom music is a casual purchase, I doubt they drop this kind of money on any CD. On one hand, we have the record labels and the RIAA suing people for downloading music. On the other hand, we have this scenario where even a hardcore music fan like myself walks away in disgust. Imagine if you walked into a music store and there were CDs on sale, new and old, for $5.99. Shit, I'd buy four without blinking. And what kind of CDs would be selling? Probably new ones as well as back catalog. And when back catalog sells more, do the labels make money? Question mark. Uh-huh. Look at my intro last month about the long tail. This can even apply on a reduced scale at retail. And what if downloads were 25 cents per song? And his editorial last week really wasn't about this, but he was just doing some graphing. Okay, so there's two more short paragraphs. I ended up picking up a pile of CDs at a couple of excellent small record stores, Exiled Records in Portland, Oregon, and The Beat in Sacramento, California, where the prices were lower and the shelves were stocked with interesting music. And they're probably the kind of stores that larger labels couldn't care less about since they don't move enough units. Let's hope that the larger labels eventually pull their heads out of their asses or die off. As music returns to being a cottage industry, maybe even the cost of CDs and downloads will come down to encourage listeners to buy more music. And in the end, that would be good for all of us. Signed, Larry Crane, editor. Look, market forces are going to take over here. And I'm not talking just about market forces in dollars and cents. I'm talking about people are going to decide the seller's and the the producers and the consumers are going to decide collectively that this is a whole bunch of crap. The old model just doesn't work anymore. And the old model being the record industry treats everyone like a criminal and everyone who buys something is suspect first and and they've got no no need to prove any of their their allegations and they're just going to yank the money out of your hand. This is what I'm I'm kind of ticked off about. And people are saying, well, the record industry is they're just trying to protect their, their rights. No, they treat people like criminals. They expect people to be criminals. And and this is what their chief lawyer says. I've got a quote here. It's, it's crazy. The chief lawyer for Sony BMG says he was asked if it was wrong for consumers to make copies of music which they have purchased. Now, this is me making a copy, ripping a CD. And he says, even just one copy, when an individual makes a copy of a song for himself or herself, I'm putting that in his mouth. I suppose we can say he stole a song. Making a copy of a purchased song is just a nice way of saying steals just one copy. 
and that's so not in keeping with the the law as it was interpreted since the late 70s when cassette tapes and stuff came out. That's People, not even in keeping with, with reality. The copyright law says you can make a copy. There's such a thing as fair use, and fair use is for personal use. what I was going for. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, well, I agree. And they're definitely trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And to quote Fletcher from Mercenary Audio, who is uh, this really hardcore analog guy, and um, I don't know if I should quote him or not, but when I uh, I saw it, there was an article much like this in Mix Magazine, which is the biggest and most widely distributed audio engineering magazine. And there was a big issue about, is the music industry in trouble? And there were a lot of editorials written in that particular piece about the big labels. And to quote Fletcher, his exact quote was, fuck them, I hope they die. Because nature abhors a vacuum, and eventually some smaller labels will replace them. And I've met Fletcher at trade shows, and for the most part, I like him. And uh, But I definitely agreed with that quote. I mean, look what's happening. We've got all sorts of new models. We've got the download model. We've got the sharing model, meaning people are going to, quote-unquote, illegally copy music and share it. There's all sorts of models out there. What the music industry needs to do is figure out, if they want to stay alive, and I really don't think they're going to, if they want to stay alive, they got to figure out what's going on in the market, and try to profit from what's going on in the market. Don't prevent what's going to happen anyways. I like the ship in the bottle model as well. Do you? Yeah. You know what model I like? No. Elle McPherson. <laughs> she was on Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue more than anyone, as far as I can recall. She's been on way too many things. Not a fan of the L. But not enough of me. Whoa. Whoa. Hey, hey you know what? Did, I should, did you I say should, that out loud? I should put some songs... On the rest of this and, and this show. is another surprise for me because I have no. Oh no, this is Mutandina. We have heard them. Actually, we played them two shows ago, several shows ago, weeks yeah. and weeks and weeks so ago. So it's it's cruel. Let's check it out. Bueno, y entonces acá están mi mis amigos. Yo te diciendo de verdad. Acá hay un rock and roll, viejo. Pesan más que mil discursos 
abusos y se humillen con mentirosa razón. Y ciertas razones no razonan por sí solas y además el enemigo no las usa a tu favor. Entonces deja correr, deja correr, deja correr las cosas de lugar. Track number two from the album Mutandina by Mutandina from Magnatune.com. She's hot. That's hot. That is my second favorite M- Mutandina song that we played on. <laughs> Mutandina. Not nearly as funky and groovy as uh, the piece we played two or three weeks ago. Well, the other one was more of a George Clinton kind of funk, but this is more of a Stevie Wonder kind of funk. I don't know. This is. I think Stevie Wonder's got a lot more funk than this song had. I don't know. Stevie Wonder couldn't do it in Spanish. How do you know? I know Stevie. <laughs> he and I are like this. John's crossing his fingers. So I saw a film, you know. Another one of those films. As that you the, do quite often. On average, it's more than once a week, I'd say, actually. And and this was a film that has gotten quite a bit of uh, critical acclaim. It was a little piece called Rescue Dawn by the great heralded German filmmaker Werner Herzog. This so it's is about a, a girl named Dawn and some people at Rescue her? Yep. It's a 2007 film, and uh, I guess it's made in the U.S. 
despite the fact that Werner Herzog is from Germany, rated PG-13 for some sequences of intense war violence and torture. And I must say that I found none of the torture sequences particularly disturbing. I can honestly say that I found the dental scenes in Marathon Man far more disturbing than I found the torture scenes in this because they really didn't show that much torture. Was this film safe? What do you mean? Was it safe? Oh, right. Is it safe? Yeah. You're a funny guy. 126 minutes. And my, my, and I guess I'll tell you kind of what the movie's about before I talk about my, you know, musings about Werner Herzog's typical style and how this varied from his, his normal filmmaking ventures. This was the story of a pilot named Dieter Dengler who. He wasn't a porn star? No, he was not Dirk Diggler. He was Dieter Dengler. Different guy, sorry. Yes. And he. this was about 1966, and his particular squadron from his carrier was enlisted to fly illegal bombing missions over Laos. And he was one of the pilots who was shot down, and he spent... I, they don't even make it clear how much time he spent in the jungle. He First, he uh, he landed, and then he was able to elude the VC or whoever was looking for him in North uh, Vietnam. And eventually he was caught and taken to a prison camp where it's not clear how much time he spent, but I think it was probably on the order of months, probably less than a year. I'm thinking something like nine months. And he eventually was rescued by an American helicopter and, you know, everybody lived happily ever after. And the film itself Although it, it deviates from Herzog's typical sort of style, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later, uh, even though it wasn't a tip, it was more of a Hollywood film than it was a Herzog film. You know, it was sort of more like uh, Black Hawk Down than it was, you know, Herzog's explorations into obsession and stuff like that, which he normally does. But despite the fact that it was more of a Hollywood type film, I thought it was really compelling. The story was really good. We have Christian Bale playing. Um, Dieter Dengler, and despite the fact that I've heard Mr. Bale's name, I'm not sure I've seen him in anything. What What were you saying he was in? He's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, he was Batman recently. Yeah, he was Batman in that most recent one. The Machinist is a great film that he, he did, but he was also the kid in um, Empire of the Sun, the Steven Spielberg film. That was the uh, George Lucas film, right? The second one, Empire of the Sun? Mm, Empire no. of the Sun Strikes Back? Different different film. This one was a World War II film, Steven Spielberg. Empire of the Sun, this kid who... Um, the one with the alien. Different movie. Oh, oh. Yeah, Christian Bale, I think, I don't know if this was his first role or what, but he was a little kid. He was like 12, 13 years old in that. And now he's an adult and he's a very good actor. Yeah, and he played Dieter Dengler and, and he did a great job. And what's interesting is that they talk about another film, a documentary that Herzog made in 97 called Little Dieter Needs to Fly. And apparently in that film, he made a documentary type film where he took the real Dieter Dengler back to the jungles of Laos and together they recreated his escape you know, showing the different scenes of the jungle where a lot of this probably took place with Dengler's narration. So I'm sort of interested in seeing that film now, yeah. now that I've seen the dramatization of the the Dieter Dengler story. But how this deviated from typical uh, Werner Herzog films is, and John has seen um, Grizzly Man, and that's a typical Herzog-type film where he's obsessed with people who are obsessed. He likes to make films about obsession and extreme kinds of human behavior, and while there were certainly many extreme kinds of human behavior in this film, 
he normally makes films about people who choose to behave in extreme ways. This situation was kind of forced on him. He was shot down over the jungle and had to do what he had to do to survive. So it's different in that respect. You know, um, I do like uh, Werner Herzog's style. And again, despite the fact that this was sort of a variation from his normal style, I, I did find it compelling. And I like the story. I like the characters. And he can tell a pretty good story. So, you know, I mean, it's definitely worth watching. I really like this film. It was kind of cool. Very cool. It wasn't the typical flag-waving movie. There were It ended in that fashion because he's returned to his carrier and blah, 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 and everybody's there waiting for him and they cheer for him. But, I mean, it really wasn't a flag-waving type movie. It wasn't a jarhead kind of film. The film started out and very sort of powerfully and disturbing, showing his his missions, you know, dropping napalm on huts over Laos on these poor farmers who don't even know what the freak is going on, you know. And, um, you know, people need to realize that uh, these people are probably going to be pretty angry. So when you land, you know, the, it, it should be expected that the farmer that you just napalmed his house and killed his children, he's going to be a little upset at you. But yet people overlook that and they just kind of want to call them dirty commies or something. You no, know, they're not going to whatever they're calling. Them. They're not going to say, well, all's fair in love and war and, and uh, let bygones be bygones. You know, good show, old chap. <laughs> yeah. And Sorry. It's one of the things that our media never does in this country. They never really show the other side of what's going on and from what not. I hear from my friends in Britain and, and I've watched some great coverage of the of the war in Iraq on the Canadian stations and they actually do a, a very balanced coverage of it so anyway yeah like this film not typical Herzog but but definitely worth seeing so I would uh, definitely recommend it a little ditty called Rescue Dawn cool I'm, I'm always into a Christian Bale film always really? been a fan you want to see him naked don't you I think I have seen him naked. <laughs> well, there certainly are. There's no small. There's no lack of actors who are willing to uh, pose naked in front of a camera in Hollywood. That's or in for front sure. of me, I guess. Alan Alda. You are Alan Alda. I am. This may be our shortest show in in months, years, in even. history. Wait, let Ever. me pause the music and we'll continue speaking. That's right. We're just going to go on and on about nothing. And uh, check us out on the web: www.bloodyveg.com. Check out the forum. It is a little forum where you can forumize. Bloodyveg.com slash forum. You can send feedback to both of us to the feedback at bloodyveg.com email address. And as always, Satan at bloodyveg.com goes right to John's cranium. <laughs> I've got that hardwire. Hardwire. Landline. Hardwire, right right in there. Anyway, remember, you've been listening to the VIB. 